Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fashion Fits, where we ask the big questions like, why is it so hard to find clothes that fit? What is the circular economy? And why is it so frustratingly hard to figure out what to wear in the morning? I'm Sarah Neal, your host, and I'm joined today with an incredible group of industry experts so we can better understand why fashion is so bad for the environment. According to the United Nations Environment Program, fashion accounts for up to 10% of global carbon dioxide output, which is more than international flights and shipping combined. Up to 100 billion garments are produced by the fashion industry every year, and each year as much as 92 million tonnes of clothing ends up in landfill. Only 20% of textiles are collected for reuse and recycling globally, and almost 60% of all clothing material is actually made of plastic. So fashion is also responsible for one-fifth of the 300 million tonnes of plastic produced each year. And there are so many more shocking stats like this. We all know that when fashion fits our bodies, our lifestyles and our values, it can feel great, but knowing that it could be costing the earth kind of feels pretty awful. There's so much to unpack, which is why we're speaking to three incredible industry experts to understand why fashion is so bad for the environment, why it's not such a quick fix and what businesses, brands and customers are doing right now to turn things around. Okay, first up, we have David McLean, the CEO and founder of Hubbed a technology company focused on giving customers more options when it comes to last mile delivery. Not only does this make it more convenient for consumers, but it also plays a significant role in making shipping more efficient and more importantly, more sustainable. Their network is certified by the Carbon Reduction Institute and we can't wait to dive into last mile delivery. Then we have Belinda Paul, the founder of Recycle, which is spelled R-C-Y-C-L, which helps consumers recycle their used clothing. Material is sorted and as much as possible is converted into yarn at an offshore textile mill, keeping it out of landfill. After 25 years in fashion, Belinda saw the big issue with textile waste and wanted to create a solution that was consumer friendly and could make an immediate impact on the environment. And finally, we have the incredible Julie Willoughby, who I saw speak on stage at TechCrunch Disrupt in San Francisco last month. Julie is the Chief Scientific Officer at Cirque, which has a technology system that returns clothes to the raw materials from which they were made again and again. They're already partnering with iconic brands like Patagonia and were a 2023 Earthshot Prize finalist. Prior to Cirque, Julie, who has a PhD in chemical and molecular engineering, spent years driving material innovation at Nike. So super exciting to talk to them all. So Julie, I'd love to have you kick off this conversation. And before we talk about the amazing work you're doing at Cirque, I'd love you to educate us a little bit more about materials and what makes the production and end of life so unsustainable. Sure. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, great introduction. And I'm just really looking forward to diving into all these questions and, and trying to really wrap our mind around like this whole problem that we have with fashion. And it's, you know, as far as the materials that go in, 66% of your clothes are predominantly made of polyester cotton. And then you have the polyester and then you have cotton, a slice of each. And then you have some other things like nylon. And the materials are all put together because they give you a very different aesthetic. And we've come to love different aesthetics like stretch and, and, and compression and fit and breathability and yet water water repellent so we kind of want it all you know and then we want it to fit really well and make us look great and that plus the 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 main thrust of 
globalization of fashion. So when you look back in the 1950s, 1960s, you had the haute couture and only the wealthy could really afford the fashion high end. And then that really went into the 60s and 70s as well. It started in the late 80s and early 90s where globalization pushed all the fashion offshore, chasing cheap labor and uh, basically that cheap labor, cheap labor and making clothing at a, a, a fraction of the cost of what it sold. And that has really led to this mass overconsumption and it just continued to be fueled by the rapid adaption of multiple seasons and almost weekly weekly refreshes uh, to attract buyers to attract consumers to keep buying buying and then when they become so inexpensive they start to become disposable and really that like that mindset has really hurt fashion you know they're the process of making i would say our natural fibers and our synthetic fibers those can be done sustainably have they always been done and are they being done sustainably they're not because you know, because we like the brands and the consumers like our inexpensive clothing we like our inexpensive wares that is really changing and people are really looking at where their clothes are made how well they're constructed and and then making sure they're wearing them for more than seven wears, which is like the average life of a t-shirt. So those, those all combined, there are chemistries that are in the dyes and, and the finishes to give those things like the water repellency and the, the vibrant colors that we love. Those, there are initiatives out there to use more natural, environmentally friendly, but it's still a shift. You still have these colors demanding the, the dyes that were, originated for them to give us the vibrancy that consumers love. Wow. I definitely wear my t-shirts more than seven times. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> well, that's kind of the hard part when you, when we talk, when I have like wonderful like-minded people around, it's like, no one really believes those stats because we're like, come on, we, we really, um, we do wear our clothes more. But so. then in saying that there's probably like, you know, as you know, I think it's one of those things that's like 20% of our wardrobe we wear 80% of the time. And there's like 80% of our wardrobe that we probably do only wear a handful of times, if right. at all. And, and I sort of think, um, you know, obviously from the Miss Tyler world, like one of the things that we've always been focused on is like how to find clothes that fit. And so a big problem again, is like buying things that don't fit you quite right. that end up never getting worn. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you have to buy more. That's right. So like in the 90s, I grew up sewing and designing my own clothes with that. And I did that for many reasons. Mainly I was a, uh, was one of seven and we wore, we had our school uniform and maybe one or two outfits and my mom made our clothes and I loved to sew and made my clothes. And I would just, I would always like really pride myself that I could make them you know, much less than what I could buy them for in the store and of better quality. So like I flipped the inside and see how the seams were finished, you know, where they French seam, was it lined? How were the buttons done? You know, I looked at all those components. How does it fit? You know, I'm tall. And then I became busy with life and being a chemical engineer in the chemical industry, a uh, working mother, uh, wife, grad student, all the above. You, you, you know, your time becomes so 
so cramped. So you end up getting into that disposable lifestyle because of saying my time is worth worth you know this disposable lifestyle and it really like unfortunately the years we wasted debating global warming and climate change you know now it's caught up and everyone is very aware there's still people that are like that don't really think they can have an impact on climate change which is 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 sad um but that's that's really where i think it's all kind of come to a head is that the you can't deny climate change anymore. And when you look at who the heavy polluters are, the fashion industry due to over overproduction and, and cheaply made clothes, but not even cheaply made clothes. I mean, some their clothes are fine. They're just changing so fast and people grow tired of them. And then they clean out their closets and think they're doing something really good by giving them to a Goodwill or Salvation Army. I don't know what you have in Australia, but a clothing donation. And that is a good thing to do. But I think it's one in 10 garments actually get sold like in the US through Goodwill. And then we're shipping the rest off to the global South. And that's, that's being being attributed to all the, going to the landfill and that it attributes to greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. And Belinda, I think I read something about you uh, mentioning in the past that even like of the, the clothes that get sent to charity or donated to charity, the charity centers can't actually handle all the clothing that they're getting. So even they are having to pass it on. Are you able to talk to that? Yeah, look, I, um, in my research since starting this business, it just, you know, you get hit with so many facts and figures and statistics and it's just so daunting and overwhelming. And for me, I just sort of went, oh, oh, hang on a sec. You know, if charities can own, in Australia this is, if charities can only make profit on approximately 16% of their intake, and they've got millions of dollars in which they allocate to their landfill bill. What is actually happening? You know, for me, it was reading into that was saying, well, when people are cleaning out their wardrobes, which it happens, so a couple of things, points that Julie raised, you know, with the disposable mindset, you know, cleaning out your wardrobes. And that's the one way that I describe how I fit into the equation is that when you do clean out your wardrobe, that you have your hand-me-down pile, which is all of the good stuff that you send to your family and friends. You have your op shop pile or charity store pile, which everybody knows what to do with that pile. Everyone understands what you put into the op shop. However, then there's that third pile. And that's that third pile of clothing that you can't really give to anybody else it can't be utilized by anybody else but majority of the time that third pile because nobody knows what to do with it gets put in amongst the charity pile and gets sent off to the charities to for them to deal with and so for me that's like well that's a bit unfair like let's really chunk it down so that you know, when we're listening to these stats and we're feeling overwhelmed about climate change and we're thinking, you know, at an individual level, what can I possibly do to make a difference? Well, actually you can. You know, if we save one kilo of clothing from landfill each, that's a huge difference. And if we do it individually, we feel amazing about it. So it's just allowing and educating the general consumer to say, well, look, 
we know what to do with hand-me-downs. We know what to do with charity store um, donations, but let's not give them our crap. Let's actually be respectful to the people who are sorting it and to the charities who are paying for it and to where it might go, you know, as Julie said, you know, offshore. You know, let's just be respectable to those people and to those organisations and, and just bring that responsibility back into our households. And to that point, can you describe your solution and how, how consumers can use your solution to do exactly that? So I've come out of uh, a long time, I'm not going to give you numbers because it will show my age, but uh, a long time in the fashion game. So I've come out of volume, I've come out of production, I've come out of buying. So I really get the nuts and bolts of a retail business, you know, to be ahead of the trend, to be constantly um, driven by volume, driven by sales. So my solution is that you buy a compostable bag it gets sent to your home. You fill it in with the clothes that would are in that third pile. It comes with a consignment note already attached to it. You simply close it up and drop it off at the at the local drop off point. Um, you know, as soon as things get hard in our world, as again to the point that Julie mentioned, you know, it, it if it gets too hard, people won't do it. So in my head, you know, and I'm sure David can talk to this as well, you know, if the shipping is easy, if the process is easy, if you're already in the mindset that you want to make a change at an individual level, as long as it's easy, people will do it. Yeah, yeah. love that. And um, when your material gets sent offshore, it gets sorted. Sort sorting is like one of the first steps of it. So to... to uh, put them into different material types and then they have different processes to break them down? So um, I am not a textile recycler. I'm the first person to put my hand up and say that. <laughs> um, however, I have done a lot of research and I have um, decided to work with the long, with the, you know, the most credible in the industry. Um, they are fibre technicians. They have come out of the fashion game as well. They understand the composition of materials and what has to happen to, you know, in order to make a fabric, but also to um, break that fabric down so that it can be reused. So what they do with all the natural fibres is that they do break that down. So the fibres get sort of uh, drawn out a little bit longer and that will get made into new yarn. And then all the plastic sort of material bases that, you know, the polys, the nylons and things like that, um, they get sort of punched down. So because they would melt in that process and they make a carpet underlay or a felt. So really... Um, you know, this partnership between um, my supplier and this Indian mill has been longstanding, 20 plus years. Um, they've got a really great uh, working relationship. For me, again, coming out of the fashion game, you know, making sure ethical sourcing is all the way down the line, modern slavery is all the way down the line. Um, super important for me as a business to be completely transparent with my process because I am not the recycler. I'm just the enabler for the customer and for the brand to offer at market a solution to the everyday person who's coming in. Yeah. So um, it's so interesting and um, technology is evolving at such a rapid rate. 
you know, in terms of recycling and but also consumer demand is evolving. People want to know what options they have to recycle or to help in the in, you know, the huge climate change um, conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, there's more pressure on brands to be responsible and consumers in part are also driving that demand, which is fantastic. Um, Julie, so you, Cirque has developed a new technology that does this recycling process for poly cotton, cotton right. polyester. <laughs> yes, poly, polyester cotton and polyester, many people don't know that's PET. So that's the same plastic that's in your Coke bottles. So when you look at when you look at textiles that say this is made with 60%, I'm, I'm making up that number, um, 50% say recycled content, it's, I, I bet you, I, I bet you a hundred bucks that it's made with recycled PET bottles. And so you so might be cool. drinking someone's underwear <laughs> or oh, the other way around. There you go. There you go. I don't know that there's that much polyester in underwear, but maybe there is. <laughs> That's usually something... I don't know. Um, silkier, silkier, right? Uh, so yeah, it's true. So what, you know, breaking down that polyester is the first step. So what Belinda was talking about, which was really exciting, is they're pulling out the cotton and they're doing that mechanically. And then it sounds like now is that is used for new yarns and then what's left over, they melt it for carpet underlays. So that's a great way they're they're reusing the yarns, the mechanical, natural yarns. And the thing about mechanically recycling cotton yarns is they do have a limited life because at, just in the process of washing your cotton t-shirt, you know how it thins? You're, you're breaking down the cotton. So you can do that to a point. So what we do at Cirque and the technology that we've developed, we call it enhanced recycling because it's really a combination of thermo and mechanical recycling. And what I will say, chemicals recycling. So it's all of those, it takes heat to, what we do is we liquefy the polyester. If you envision your polyester cotton t-shirt and if you liquefy the polyester and then squeeze it out and you have like a leftover, like dirty rag that's cotton. And if it was a 50-50 split, your, that t-shirt that would be 50% lighter. And then all the polyester would be in that liquid. Well, that liquid is like gold. It's the, it's a polyester monomers and monomers are building blocks. So when you make a polymer, think of like a long strand of pearls and even every monomer is a pearl. And so polyester is, like, let's just say a thousand pearls strung up together and we chop them up into all those individual pearls that then go from a solid to a liquid. And that's how we get the cotton out. So we get the cotton out. And in that process, you know, it's it we treat it in such a way that the cotton does. It's not as good for mechanical recycling. So what we really would rather do is make the what's called regenerated cellulose or a lyocell product and that it when it first was discovered under the the names or developed under the names rayon and viscose process it was like artificial silk and the old rayon process was really bad for the environment and even there are some viscose processes you know if they're not circular and the engineering's not correct on making everything recyclable and recoverable and closed loop 
then those can have adverse effects to the environment too. The lyocell process is very environmentally friendly with a, a solvent that was developed years ago that is able to dissolve the cotton. So cotton is a cellulose. What's normally used to make this product is uh, pulp from trees. So our pulp that our cotton that came out of the process is now a hundred percent recycled cotton pulp that goes into making this beautiful silk-like fiber. And you can, in the textile manufacturing process, you can cut the fibers up, crimp them and cut them. So they really behave and feel like cotton or you can make them into filaments and then you're making this long silky material. On the polyester side, we purify those monomers I was talking about, those pearls, we clean them up and then we stick them back together. And then that makes as good as new because we've taken the dyes out, um, virgin, I mean, not virgin, but virgin-like polyester. So you no longer have to mine for from the fossil fuels because we have all the polyester out there that we need. We just need to keep reusing it over and over in a closed loop facility that is zero liquid discharge and really working to zero carbon output, low carbon using renewable energy sources and new, new engineering efforts to recycle the energy that goes into processing. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's it's very exciting. And when I was sort of reading more into this, you know, like you know, the, the production of like the, the fibers to begin with, you know, there's deforestation, there's soil erosion, um, that leads to like lack of food supply. Um, there's lots of dirty water. So the more we can sort of reuse the, the materials that already exist versus creating them new, it, like it makes a huge difference. And as consumers, are there materials that we should be looking for? So if we're trying to, to buy something, are there materials that are better in terms of being able to recycle down the, the, the track? Well, anytime you like keep layering different materials in there for that like really special aesthetic or it might have been done to make it even cheaper you know so like a, a certain material might just be be cheap and it gets put in there because it's it's cost effective so the overall material is is a lower um, a lower price to give that product a higher higher margin but when you look at recycling the easiest things to recycle are things that are what we in the scientist world called like homopolymers. So things that are just single materials, right? So a nylon to a nylon, a polyester to a polyester, a cotton to a cotton. Those are, those are easy, but you're not going to necessarily get that aesthetic you want. And, and so the next one I would say is polyester and cotton because at CERC we can recycle it and it gives you a great it, a great material. So the polyester is is hydrophobic, and that means it doesn't like water. And you got your cotton that loves water. And so when you combine a cellulose like a cellulose, so a natural fiber like cellulose with polyester, you get the best of both worlds. And so right now it's just a matter of scaling that technology up so that we can basically democratize sustainability and fashion just the way fast fashion democratize fashion for the the low to middle classes yeah and actually I was speaking to a friend the other day and she said you know what I do is I recycle all my sheets because I got told that like sheets are one of the easiest things to recycle so 
if I don't know yeah. what to do with everything else, I can do my sheets. Right. No, that is true. And we can actually do any ratio of cotton to poly polyester and any color, which makes it really a robust process to develop these circular fibers. So once you make them into a new yarn and a new fabric, they can go right back into the start of the process. Once it's loved, well loved. That's right. <laughs> Buy it, love it, and then yes. be responsible with it later okay. on. Yes. And I think it's just, you know, it just goes to show that the technology is just advancing so rapidly. You know, a couple of years ago when I started my business, I was just looking for the instant um, immediate action of reducing landfill because that was the only opportunity for me then. And now, you know, a couple of years down the track, you know, I'm listening to Julie and like, it's amazing. And yes, I've heard of it and it's coming up and it's becoming the norm and it's becoming part of conversations, which is more important. You know, government policymakers, industry bodies, they're looking for all of this stuff. So the consumer will not so technical to what Julie went into, but they will sort of get sort of that overarching understanding that something can be done. Yeah. And um, David, flipping to you for a second. So I was reading up on Last Mile and I've got a couple of stats. So the first one is that demand for Last Mile parcel deliveries are estimated to increase by 78% globally by 2030, resulting in greater emissions. With no interventions, we can expect a 32% jump in carbon emissions from urban delivery traffic by 2030. And it's estimated that it emits annually right now 500,000 tonnes of carbon emissions in India, 3 million tonnes of carbon emissions in Europe, and 4 million tonnes of carbon emissions in the US. So first of all, what is last mile delivery? So um, before I even jump into trying to answer that question, I, I want to... Um, refer back to Julie and Belinda because my mother-in-law, wonderful lady, works for an op shop in Aubrey, Wadunga. She works for the United Church op shop and she's been there for decades and she actually um, supports everything that you've been talking about because she says that over the last decade she's seen the difference in the quality of the clothing and how more and more of the clothing that's coming in she can't use. And, and they feel like they've become these dumping grounds. So I just wanted to make that point to, to support what was being said before, because, you know, she lives it every day. Um, but yes, the, the last mile delivery is just a dirty business. There's there's no other way to um, describe it. It's it's just releasing all these carbon emissions into the um, environment. And even though there's, there's a big push towards electric vehicles, it still actually creates this congestion. And the reality is um, that retailers, have created a level of addiction from consumers on fast delivery. And this is what's causing the problem. And we've got a bunch of research that shows that um, only about 20% of people who, who you know, order something and say they want it same day or next day actually need it same day or next day. But they do it because they want a level of, um, of surety about that consignment turning up. And so about 80% of the stuff that's moving around on the roads uh, on these individual deliveries um, isn't necessary. And so the last mile delivery problem really is, is the fact that about 50% of the transportation costs of any item moving around the world is actually in that last mile, that final courier dropping it off to that person's home. That's where 50% of these emissions come from. 
And so there's a lot of push to work out how to reduce those um, the amount of demand for that delivery and the com competition that the retailers are driving to attract customers by offering faster and faster and faster. And um, with, with, with high respect to Amazon, um, they, they are a company that offers an excellent, incredibly fast delivery service and the other retailers are, pl are playing catch up for that. And what we found um, doing a study with the Carbon Reduction Institute of Australia is that when we work with um, logistics carriers, um, you actually reduce carbon uh, emissions by about half a kilo of um, carbon equivalent emissions when you deliver it to a collection point rather than delivering it to home. And the math around that is really simple. You know, the average courier can deliver about 150 parcels a day in Metro. But if they drop off 50 of those parcels to a um, collection point, then they're actually on the road less. And most people, when they pick up a parcel from a collection point, actually pick it up on a pre-existing journey. They're either on their way to work or on their way home from work. So they're not increasing the amount of, of carbon em emissions. And furthermore, on the return side as well, if the items are dropped off to a collection point or a parcel locker or a, you know, a pickup drop-off point, then the courier is picking up the parcels in bulk rather than going and doing all of these individual visits. And so the last mile problem is really how do we as an industry work together to reduce A, the demand for home delivery, and um, uh, B, um, the focus on the way that people are purchasing. In other words, you know, buying all these individual items, buying 50 items and knowing they're only going to keep one. How, how do the retailers operate to reduce that behavior? And then see how to encourage customers to say, look, you know, I, I don't need it tomorrow. I'm happy to pick it up um, in, a, in a daytime. I'm happy to pick it up on the weekend or after hours. And these environments are convenient for me to do that. That, that's actually, I was reading up about this and I can't remember the exact stat, but it was basically like shipping is actually one of the most efficient forms of transportation, like actually on boats. Um, mm. Aeroplanes are the worst, you know, and in between you've got trains and then cars. And so mm. like, as soon as you ask for it fast, it means plain. As soon as you ask for it slow, it means that it can use these like more efficient methods of, right. of transportation and then secondly um you know actually i saw david speak um one night as well and we were chatting afterwards and not only when you get it delivered to your home sometimes you're not there and all of a sudden you get that little sticky note saying to go pick it up from a collection point anyway so there's like right. a percentage of just this waste that's happening um and i think for a lot of people you know particularly now like you know there's more theft around you know packages left outside mm -hmm. So yeah. there's a lot of reasons to use a collection pickup that's convenient. You know, like I've got one around the corner and it's literally a two minute walk. It's so easy to go pick it up. Um, but I think, you know, and sort of David um, and I've sp spoken about this before, but, you know, you sort of do want to have a bit of a consumer incentive to, you know, have a, a bit of a delayed pickup or to pick it up from a collection point, because mm -hmm. it's like, if, you know, from consumer's point of view, if they're not thinking about the environmental aspects, if it's the same price to have it delivered to your door or exactly the same price to have it delivered a week later to a collection point, of course, you're going to get it to your door. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. all they need to do, for instance, is show like a little like, you know, it's the same price, but it's environmentally sustainable. Oh, okay, yeah. well, I'll do that option because I don't need it for a week. That's exactly right. And uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of research, the research that we have, because we, we do this yearly. And uh, number one, more and more people, it's over 50% of consumers know that a collection point is, is a more environment, environmentally friendly way to actually um, receive their consignments. However, 
consumers won't pay an additional fee for it. And so the challenge now, and, and we're actually making quite a bit of progress in this area, is we, we talk to the logistics companies that we work with who use our network and we say to them, look, um, the research here shows that you can actually provide a more environmentally friendly delivery service if this service comes at a discount. And it should come at a discount. Yeah. Because quite rightly, they're not. It's not an individual delivery to their home, and that customer is actually picking up their consignment. So you should actually provide a, a discount. And by the way, you are saving money because you are no longer doing all of these other deliveries, and what you're doing is you're not passing that saving on to yeah. the consumer. So all so we're saying is brands pass yeah. on the savings to your customers because you're at no worse position, but you now have like a sustainable message. Well, in addition to that, it actually grows the stickiness to that brand because the customers are looking for more delivery choices. So if you say to that brand, listen, uh, you have home delivery, which none of us really want. And and, um, to be honest, we don't need it all the time. There's a click and collect um, solution and it's more cost effective for everybody. So let's have, I call it the Qantas Jetstar conversation. You know, Qantas is a home delivery. Jetstar is a collection point. I'm happy to be Jetstar. And so we, we say to everybody, let's just be honest about that, that we actually are providing all of these delivery choices. And then the final point I make on this, and, and you may have heard me say this, you know, um, I say all the time, when I go to a website to buy something, why there are always 10 different ways to take my money, but only two ways for me to get my stuff, right? Being fast or slow or very slow. So I've got after pay, don't pay, why pay, maybe I should pay, right? And then why don't I have in addition to that, look, you can have an excellent home delivery service for a premium item that you really need. Um, But if it's an item that you're happy to pick up in a couple of days, we will deliver it to a collection point for you at a different price point and you pick it up there. And if you want to return it, you can also return it from that location as well. And what you're doing is you're helping the environment and you can feel good about the fact that you've made that purchase. Yeah, I I think, you know, I think it's just so overwhelming that Mm. it's almost that you go into paralysis and so it's too big for me to understand it's too big for me to break down i need i go back into utility mode which is i need this thing for this thing and i just do it in the in the most simple straightforward way yeah yeah look i think i think as well though what, what's actually happening is the um uh going back to some of the comments that julie julie was making earlier on there's 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 a bunch of pressure now around retailers to be more uh economically viable especially marketplaces mm-hmm. you know we can't just everything fast and free and and that is just not working. And we're seeing changes. We're seeing in Europe now um, the likes of uh, Zara, um, Inditech, actually providing these different price points um, um, depending on the delivery service you want because everyone's going, look, the, the whole market share win at all costs model isn't working for us anymore. We need to be um, sustainable to, to, you know, to be a going concern. Therefore, we have to find more efficient ways. So a part of that um, stems from the education that customers are now getting around um, sustainable delivery. So I I know this sounds um, not great, but I think a lot of retailers are pushing these sustainable options because it's more efficient for them uh, and more more cost-effective for the business. But the reality is it doesn't matter from my point of view. It's the right thing to do anyway. And Mm -hmm. and you know what? If it's a win-win, if it's good for the environment and good for economics, that's fantastic. Um, Yeah. I worked on uh, climate uh, smart home services, what it was called. It was like a, a service in Queensland, which is an area in Australia where we basically retrofit homes to make them more, you know, climate efficient. So we put in 
you know, light, energy efficient light bulbs, you know, mm. water and energy efficient shower head. And then we put in an energy monitor so, could pe- so people could see what energy was being used. Like when they turn on their AC, how does it change? Um, but at the time, energy prices were going up. And for us to get more adoption, we switched the message from reducing carbon emissions to save money on your energy bill. So we're still having the same impact. But, yeah. you know, it's it's about you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, like what, what is like top of mind to consumers. And so fantastic. If, if it works on both levels, mm. that's fantastic. Um, and then over time, you know, we do have these, you know, demands from consumers and demands from, you know, global initiatives to try and drive it down as well. Mm. Um, I actually saw, uh, I think it's H&M in the UK are now going to be charging for returns. Yes. So that's interesting because it'll make people a little bit more discerning about what they're buying. Maybe they won't buy three of the same thing in different sizes to see which one fits best. And they'll do a little bit more research and then they'll think twice about returning it, which again, reducing the returns has a big impact on the shipping costs. Yeah. And I think some retailers have been quite sophisticated. You know, they've got so much data on their customer base. They know who's buying 50 things and returning them. And so um, some of them are now segmenting that customer base. You know, I'm sure Belinda knows a lot more about this than me, but they're segmenting that customer base and saying, look, you can't keep buying from us that way. Before. You know, it's you're, you're actually a, a loss leading customer for us and they're getting more sophisticated about that. But yes, I think it's really important that they, they start to charge for some of these experiences. This idea that all this shipping stuff is is free is, is, is a nonsense. It's not. And I think as soon as people start to realize there's a, there's a, there's a cost element, they'll reconsider what they're doing. I had somebody on LinkedIn have a go at me once and said to me, you know, um, you know, what's your idea of, of, of a, um, of a good return? And I said, a good return is no return. Mm-hmm. I just, just no return at all. Right. Yes. I'm happy. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't, returns are not good. We should be reducing them. It should, the stuff that Miss Tyler's doing, the stuff that some of the retailers are doing in terms of considering the types of customers driving down the amount of returns i think is is a mandatory for all retailers mm-hmm. and they need to treat it as a part of the purchase experience and give it that level of focus that's right because even like a very simple easy return is still more work than no return so Absolutely. it's in our interest as a consumer yeah. to not have to return as well so yeah um so i guess to, to sort of wrap up i mean this has been an incredible conversation um, even doing the research now, speaking to you all, like I feel like I have a better understanding about why fashion is so bad for the environment. Um, I guess, you know, to finish up, I would love to hear like if there are some brands that are doing, you know, sustainable uh, processes really well um, and also any tips you have for consumers as takeaways. Sure. Well, I'm going to just call out Zara and Inditex since David brought them up. So they're one of Cirque's investors and we just had a great launch at Milan Design Week with the first ever, the world's largest capsule collection made from polycotton textile scrap and and waste. And and that was made into four unique garments. Um, Three of them were the Lyocell and one of them was the polyester. And it was sold in 11... Uh, in 11 online market communities and then also in in Milan at the Design Week. And it's just, uh, I had it on TechCrunch and I've actually been traveling for three weeks and it's I would have worn it tonight so I could like point to it, but it's super soft, silky. People love the fabric. So, I mean, definitely Zara has that at a price point that is accessible. And it's, it's you know, the other brand I would say is Madewell. 
Uh, I have a 14 year daughter daughter who loves those jeans. And when we went shopping, they're actually giving $50 back for any pair of jeans that you bring. It's a $50 credit for new jeans. So if their jeans are $100 on average, then you get 50, you're basically getting 50% off all the time. And that's how it feels. And you're giving back those jeans. So I think that is super cool. And I like to say that, you know, what, what David's talking about and Belinda about making it easy, it really is about that consumer experience. Mara Hoffman's one to watch and Eileen Fisher, those are great. And where we need to get to is where we, where people are understanding to buy higher quality, buy less and maybe slow down altogether? Um, I think retailers have to change. They have to put something forward, you know, to David's point and to Julie's, you know, when I talk to retailers, and I talk to a lot of them, um, when I talk to them, they're just, they've got so many sustainability projects, initiatives on the go at the moment that it's really hard for them as organisations to pinpoint where to action. So, you know, they've got their freight, they've got their packaging, they've got, you know, um, EV vehicles or they will change solar panels on their warehouse, which is all amazing. But I think what we are trying to do is to say, well, look, how can you just really do something immediately, first and foremost, and how is where are you going to make a really quick difference and a quick change to make that impact? Um, so, look, I think soon we will be seeing retailers. I can only talk to Australia, but I know in Australia uh, the retailers are looking for something to put across their front window to, you know, like Zara's doing, you know, to I received all of those Zara emails, you know, just to say, well, this is what we are doing. This is how we're saving on our carbon emissions. This is how we're saving on our landfill. This is how we're saving to regenerate our fabrics and to um, make new products. So I think in time, and I think it will happen soon, that um, consumers will be seeing a lot more of those messages from the retailers. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, uh, from my perspective, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Zara and Julie, because we work with them uh, really closely on their returns program, both in Australia and some other markets as well. And they're, they're, they're very much at the forefront of promoting that. The Iconic in Australia as well, very, very focused on sustainability and working closely with us on, well, we, were, we already work with them and they're working more closely with us about how they um, get more of their customers in the, in the shopping cart to actually look at um, sustainable shipping solutions versus I'll just have it at home. I have to call out Amazon actually in, in Australia. Amazon has been uh, running a program now where when you're, when you're making a purchase, they say, we'll give you a a five dollar discount on your on your shopping purchase if you ship it to a to a hub collection point, and, and I, I think that is the sort of thing um, that will make meaningful change to customers. You know, it's ultimately if you can um, bring those two things together and say, look, this is better for the environment. It's actually better for you, and it's more cost effective for you. It will work. So my hope um, is that the industry gets better aligned on the savings differentials. I think it's going to be driven by the retailers and the consumers and then the carriers will follow is, is my view. Absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you all so much for joining and sharing your wisdom with us. You've been listening to the Fashion Fits podcast brought to you by Miss Tyler. 
the place to discover creators your height, shape, and size already shopping for your body.